Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And uh, friends, we need to start with an apology for Andy's terrible audio. <laughs> We've been having some microphone difficulties. I think we got it sorted out, but he he is on a less good microphone. It's going to pain us to record on this this terrible setup, but I think it'll be okay. Yeah, so without rousing introduction, Chris, uh, let's let's dive into the episode, shall we? That was pretty mean. I I kind of threw you under the bus there. Um, We'll blame whoever manufactured your microphone instead. Can we we blame coronavirus for our audio issues? Yes, you can, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay, so Andy, uh, we both admitted to each other right before we started that we we had a secret thing that we were holding sort of in our back pockets to talk about at the start. Do you okay. want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, let's see. Why don't you go first? Okay. Um, so I just took the garbage out. I know. You can stop clapping. but yeah. <laughs> So I just took the garbage out to the street and our street light was out. And I realized, because like, I have a young kid at home, like I realized that this is the first time I've been out sort of like in the dark by myself in a while Mm -hmm. and it was very creepy (laughs) okay um yeah and i it just it started to make me think about like the the last time i think i'd been been in the dark was like at a campground or something like that but um then i started thinking about like role-playing games and the thought of like staying awake outside like doing a watch for like four to eight hours Mm. something like that like you know like while a long rest is happening um and so what I'm wondering, my question to you is, like, do you think you could do it? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of an interesting question, because, like, watches at night are always something, even when you're doing them in an RPG, you kind of realize this probably isn't, like, how it would actually work. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think that I could do a watch for, like, four hours, because mm-hmm. I don't have, like, the attention span... I. I would get lost in my mind thinking about something and I would not be doing what I was supposed to be doing on the watch, which is like continually scrutinizing the environment. How about you? Yeah. yeah, I don't think I could, I could last like an hour maybe. And then I would probably fall asleep. (laughs) Um, I had a job after college actually. I just forgot about this and just was reminded about, um, yeah, I was a night security and maintenance for a public pool, you know, so I, theoretically, I was supposed to be walking around every night, all night, you know, checking just to make sure no one was breaking into the pool and everything was okay. Um, I will admit now that it's been, you know, 20 years or so, like I, I did not do a very good job <laughs> with, the, with being the, the night watchman. Um, yeah, because it's just like, it's just so boring, right? Like just, yeah. I think there's a lot of like, a, a lot about role-playing games that you sort of gloss over, right? Like movies do this too, right? Like you wouldn't want to watch a movie of someone doing an eight-hour watch as well um but just like you had the thought of some of these things that you just sort of casually sprinkle into a role-playing game like you yeah you pass the night and there's you know nothing's happened right like that happened in real life you'd be bored in real life you probably like want the goblin raiding party to run across you (laughs) you know just to just sort of break up the monotony so do you go through the motions of having the players like set up a watch at night when they set up camp do you say uh, who takes first watch, who takes second, or do you just, do you roll for, like, encounters at night, or do you just, like, kind of hand wave your way through it? The only time I'll roll is if they are trying to take a long rest somewhere where it might be a little bit dangerous, or I want to pretend like there's some danger there. But for the most part, yeah, it's just like that's uh, setting up camp is not the interesting part of the game for me. Um, although, I mean, it would be, I guess I don't even know how you would do that necessarily without it feeling pretty rote after a while 
I mean, I guess if you if you did like three long rests, three or four long rests in a row, where like you were rolling for an encounter every hour, something like that, that would just start feeling like a slog, I think, for the players. So, I mean, if you wanted yeah. to give a certain feeling to the game, that might be a good way to do it. But, yep. Yeah. What about you? Have you? Yeah, I've like d- I've done that game where every rest you break into watches and you roll for each person's watch to see what happens. And I've also done the thing where it just doesn't seem fun, so we just kind of roll through it um, without yeah. anything happening. Uh, I find that, you know, random ambushes are not usually something that's like going to be a good use of an hour of our time. So I'd rather do something. I would rather get us to the next day and just rolling on the main adventure than just inserting a fight that's going to be definition kind of a filler battle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to um, make them take out the garbage every night. I guess is what you're. Right. I suppose yeah. so. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So that that was just sort of the thought I had coming into this recording, um, which I guess maybe we broke the mystery a little bit. That yeah, we, we record this at night. We're not recording it like live as you're listening <laughs> to the podcast. But yeah, yeah, there are no, there's no bank of phones that we're managing here from callers uh, while we yeah. record. I had. Something I wanted to mention. First of all, uh, I missed being on the show last time. Oh, I yeah, understand you posted. You went solo with uh, with the one our wonderful uh, friend Phil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thanks for doing that. And uh, sorry, dear listeners, that you were deprived of my insights for uh, <laughs> a whole two weeks or whatever. But uh, yeah. among many other things that uh, happened to me in the last month, one of them was I finally read the entirety of Jack Vance's Dying Earth novels. Oh. And uh, are you, Chris, are you familiar with The Dying Earth? Only in that it's a series that I should read at some point. Sure. Yeah, yeah so I've read some of some of The Dying Earth material in the past, but I've never sat down and read it straight through in publication order. And I guess if you're not familiar with it, The Dying Earth novels are four novels, I guess, or novellas by Jack Vance, who started writing them, I think, in like 1950. And I think the last one was written in the maybe the 80s. Hmm. Uh, and wow. they are a prominent influence in D&D, particularly if you've heard the term Vancean spellcasting, mm, which is okay. D&D's system where you memorize a limited number of spells that's lifted straight out of Vance, as are some of the actual names of D&D spells. I had no idea. I'd, yeah, I'd yeah. heard that term before. I didn't realize it was it came from, from that series. Yeah, so it's in the in Gary Gygax's Appendix N, which sort of famously lists out the literary inspirations that inspired Gygax as he was um, creating D&D. And it was a fantastic read, a really good read. There's four novels, and they vary quite a bit in quality, I would say, but the best ones are, are extremely good. Hmm. But one thing that struck me while I was reading, you know, so my first instinct, I mean, I enjoyed reading them immensely. And so my first instinct is to recommend them without reservation, but without getting into a topic that would probably be better left for um, a guest or two on the show. I was really struck by how um, non-inclusive the dying earth books are in the sense Um. that, they are a world clearly born out of that sort of 1950s, 1960s fantasy sci-fi world where it's just these are worlds run by men, 
by yeah. you know and kind of white white men uh, more or less and it really struck me on this read through i've read plenty of of kind of quote classic sci-fi by a lot of the great respected sci-fi writers that falls into this category as well but it struck me especially strongly on this and it, it, it was interestingly timed because as I was reading this, a Kickstarter for a role-playing game setting based on the Dying Earth was wrapping up. It was phenomenally successful. It's by Goodman Games, the Dungeon Crawl Classics people. And it just got to me thinking, you know, as written, these worlds have no place for for people that aren't like men and, and I guess white men. How do you take a setting like that and make it a role-playing game where everybody is invited to participate and play yeah. along, you know, yeah. you, you know, do you, is it enough to just not put any limitations on what kind of characters you can play? Because of course you can make any kind of character you want, male, female, any ethnicity, any gender mm-hmm. in a role-playing game. Is that enough? You know, yeah. or does it take something more to signal like, Hey, you are all invited and included in this world. Uh, even if they, you weren't included in the novels this world was fashioned around. Did you know, did Goodman Games include any sort of statement along the side, along that lines in the, with the Kickstarter? Or? That I don't know. And I do want to yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, yeah. they're smart people, and they've, you know, in the course of various uh, little hobby uh, incidents, uh, they've shown themselves to be pretty good people, too, I think. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if they've given this some thought, but... I don't know. It was just a question I had, and it's not one I'm. I guess I'm asking you to answer, but it was. Yeah. Uh, it, it's got me to thinking because there's a lot of talk about making this hobby as inclusive as possible these days, mm-hmm. and yeah. So what you yeah. do, the source material is is the opposite of inclusive. Yeah, and I would say like I think role for topic we aspire to be as inclusive as possible. Um, you know everything that we're doing. Yeah, and I think we're we're in a time period where I think it's important to have those statements of inclusivity. Um, People disagree on this, right? Like, but I think it's really important, <laughs> important at, the, at this time to have those, you know, so I think if I was going to pick up that, like knowing what you said about the dying earth, I think like my, my radar would be sort of up about that reading through the role-playing game. Like you'd want them to sort of address it in some fashion, even if it is just during character creation, like reemphasizing, like, yes, you can be any gender. Yeah. Like you can be any race, like you can be any, any sexuality, like whatever, whatever kind of character you want to create, you can create in this world. Right. Cause like, I think the, if you don't say that and your source material is very like, yeah, that cis white guy centered, fantasy right like a, a lot of sci-fi stuff like if you don't say that in your, your material now i think like the tendency is like well i mean like so the person who likes the book thing you know like are they also going to like the role-playing game right like are you opening opening that space at all yeah so i usually like i mean i'm on the side of applauding publishers and stuff for having those statements and like really making an effort to to make that happen yeah well this is something that you know i don't think you and i i think you and i have a uh, you know, no offense or anything. I think you and I have a pretty limited perspective on this particular issue, just because you and mm-hmm. I have probably not run into much in the way of fantasy literature or games that didn't kind of include us by default. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're listening and you have some insight into this or some personal experience with us, uh, we really, um, we greatly love to hear your perspective. So, yeah. Would you recommend them? I guess, like, should I, should I pick them up with that caveat? Yeah. Yes. So I do recommend them. There's four novels and two of them are fantastic with, 
I mean, it's hard to say it's fantastic, but also they're really sexist and misogynist. You know, yes, like, what a strange yeah. disclaimer that yeah. is to tack on to my praise of the book. But they are two novels that are the best of what Dying Earth has to offer. And they both follow the char- a character named Kugel, Kugel the Clever. Okay. And uh, I don't want to go off on a- another big tangent before we get into the actual topic of our episode. But one of the interesting things about reading Dying Earth is seeing a different type of D&D campaign kind of modeled. Mm-hmm. And the Kugel the Clever is a roguish scoundrel character in this far, far, far in the future post-apocalyptic Earth. And he is traveling across the continent trying to get um, back home because he's been exiled on the other side of the continent. And reading about his adventures is an interesting little window into a type of D&D I don't really play much, but that I wonder if it might be fun. And so each of Kugel's adventures follows basically the same pattern. And I feel like it's modeled after... Oh, it's not modeled after, but it's the sort of thing you would find in an Elric story or a Conan yeah. story or going back like a sort of Odysseus type of hero. He's a really flawed person mm-hmm. and he moves into each new situation. And because he can't help himself, he gets into trouble wherever he is. He doesn't do the efficient thing. He doesn't keep focused on the mission and he doesn't do the smart thing. But he he rolls into town and instead of just getting the info he needs and moving on, he stops and he like, he's a scoundrel. So he's always setting up like scams and cons <laughs> yeah. and they always work at first and then backfire. And yeah. it creates often hilarious adventures. And there's a type of D and D in which your players are kind of rolling chaos. Uh, you know, they roll into town and then you just see where their inclinations and their weaknesses and their uh, impulses take them. And then you just build an adventure out of the trouble and the consequences that the PCs are bringing on themselves. Mm -hmm. I can't say that that sounds super fun to me, but there's obviously something interesting to that. So I don't know. Have you ever played that where it's just like you roll into town? What are you going to do to cause chaos? Interesting chaos here. Yeah. Uh, Where you said you wouldn't want to play a game like that. I like the idea of like endlessly following players down rabbit trails of, you know, I don't know. I need a little bit of structure. That's not just, Mm -hmm. I don't like the idea of the PCs necessarily just being like troublemakers, but I do like the idea of the PCs rolling in and then letting their instincts, whether they're rational or not, uh, produce an adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I, so I like running games like that. So if I'm not going to run a published adventure, that's sort of, that's that's more of what what I find interesting is that the little bit of sandbox and see see all the the terrible decisions <laughs> the players end up making. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how that uh, Blades in the Dark campaign that I ran for you and some others that was all all sort of that that setup. Um, which you know there's some successful parts and some parts that fell flat, right? Like it's you have a little bit less control I think over the the evenness maybe of the narrative when you yeah. go that route. Right, like Vance obviously like probably wrote a number of those scenarios and then cut a couple of them when he mm-hmm. yeah. went to book to put the book together. But yeah, it is kind of fun. I mean, I I like that that improv and sort of reacting to to what's going on. But I do yeah. think yeah, you need to have some some idea of maybe even the initial setup. I think for a lot of that, um, and then you can kind of see see where it goes from there. Um, yeah, as D and D has evolved to 
be a sort of implied setting where adventuring is like a respected career. I think it's lost a little bit of that edge that you get in Conan the Barbarian and Elric of Melnibide, where these, quote, adventurers are, they're, they're more like forces of nature rolling into town mm-hmm. than they are, in, like, in standard D&D. They're kind of like professional troubleshooters, you know, problem solvers yeah. or investigators. And yeah. there's something, you know, if you read the Conan stories, you know, no one would really ever want Conan to come into their part of the world, you know, because I mean, yes, he'll, he'll kill the sorcerer that's causing trouble, but I mean, no one, you'll be glad when he leaves, you know, and I, there is a certain appeal to, to having that be a a model for a D and D campaign too, where the adventures are something weird that doesn't have a a neat place in society. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not like the, just the kind of, you know, the roving militia of the forgotten realms. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is like I mean, you could imagine any of the towns in like Elric. Yeah, like they would talk about that time that Elric came for like the next two hundred <laughs> yes. years, because yes. right? it's like yeah, there aren't like adventures coming through. Yeah, a lot of like D and D style towns are I think are built on the assumption that like you were but one adventuring party that has been there before, <laughs> yeah, right. rather than a very unique unique set of things. Which I mean, like I mean that lends itself to some interesting questions. I mean, like it'd be very fun to have a town full of like level five adventuring parties or level 10 adventuring parties. Like what, what would that look like if you had 300 level 10 wizards, you know, like in one spot? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, like I'm not knocking on the the way D and D kind of presents the adventuring, adventuring as a career. Cause I think that you could follow that into some really fun world building places, Mm -hmm. but it's fun to remember the old Odysseus style where, Again, yeah. walking chaos, you breathe a sigh of relief when he leaves uh, town. So. Yeah, finally the protagonist is gone. Uh, all right, let's let's roll on our table. I'm going to find Indeed, some let's dice. roll. One of these days we should make a d20 table and roll on that. Oh, man. <laughs> Think of the possibilities. Ten? A ten. Oh, okay. Well, ten is pick one from above, but I don't oh, know if okay. you have the... Yeah. So why don't you roll again, Chris? Yeah, I'm going to roll again. A four. A four. Okay. This is a John Corey question. John Corey, Mm -hmm. uh, often described as a fan favorite, I'm told, uh, on the show. Uh, (laughs) Often, okay. How do you increase player investment in the story? Oh, how do you increase player investment? That's a very... That's a very John Corey sort of question to ask. It is a very, yeah, John Corey. So, like, yeah, for those of you who have never heard the podcast before, you should go back and, and just look up all of John's John's appearances on the show. It's, it's been really great to have him. Um, and I'm trying to think uh, of, like, the worst possible answer to this just to kind of make him mad. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, I, I this is, like, a it's a really interesting question because it's, like, I mean, it implies that players should be invested in the story which I think you could debate a little bit whether or not they need to be. Um, I think the sort of games that we run, we we aspire to that. I think there are some games that people run where it's less about the story and more sort of about like the monster killing or the dungeons that you're going through. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the uh, like my kind of short pithy answer to this, and then let's dig into other elements of, of it, is like you have to ask them to be invested in order to get them invested in it. 
you can't just like have this sort of like GM as God and note taker and keeper of the lore set up. You need to, yeah, to, to ask the players to try to put pieces together, ask the players to try to remember things um, yeah. to, to also to, I think to have some influence over the story, even if it's minor, minor stuff like descriptions of, of a place um, helping you name things, those sorts of sorts of like small stuff that is somewhat easy to offload. I think it can allow people to, to feel like they're part of it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because listening to your answer, I realized I kind of misread this question actually. So when mm -hmm. I first read this question, just a scant 30 seconds ago or whatever, yeah. uh, I started thinking about basically how do you increase like a, a character, a player characters like stakes or the strength Ooh. of their connection to the adventure or the story you're telling. Yeah. And then you started talking, I think, more about how... Yeah, but the question is, how do you increase player investment? Which I guess means, you know, the people sitting at your game table's investment in the story. Yeah. Which is a different question and an interesting one. Yeah, this, uh, is, the, this is like the classic role-playing game uh, discussion. Is like, like, where does the player end and the character start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very interested in discussing what you do to get your the humans sitting at your table, you know, more invested in your story because it is I mean it's something I think about if not in exactly these terms every time I plan or run a campaign and it's something we've discussed some of the stressful sides of being a GM and a lot of the stress boils down to worrying that people don't really care very much about what's happening in the game, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about we've talked about that sort of negative way of framing this issue on a number of episodes in the past. So here's a kind of a question for you. So I don't I don't have a good answer to this question. So I'd like if you don't mind, let's just see if we can sort of flesh it out a little bit here. Mm -hmm. So what level of buy-in do you get from your players as you're starting a campaign? Do you do your players show up thinking, ah, we're going to play some D and D tonight, or do they show up going, we are going to explore the realm of the Shadow Fey and tell a gripping story of betrayal and political, uh, you know, tensions over the next couple of months. You know, mm -hmm. what do you find with your players when they come to your table? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've kicked off anything that I would call a campaign. Um, I think the yeah, uh, like so most of what I've been playing lately is more like one shots and stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, and so like those, I usually try to have some investment in the in like the setting or the general. I'm gonna like sound like a whatever a zoomer is that the, the name for the the demographic? <laughs> but like like I want them to be invested in the vibe. <laughs> like uh -huh. like the the vibe of what we're going for. Like yeah, like I don't necessarily need them to have you know like a catalog of place names and people and stuff memorized but more like we're going to tell like this sort of story and i'm going to need you to help me help me tell that like i will provide the framework but we're all going to tell this together um yeah. and if you're not willing to like connect with it on that level it's like it's probably not gonna be very fun yeah. um for you because it's, there's gonna be a lot of me like asking questions of you and if you don't want to come up with answers it's well, i'm just gonna go on to the next person I think if I were to, if I was going to kick off a longer campaign, I think I would have more of a session zero going over the sorts of things that the players are interested in um, and then tailor the story to that a little bit. So I, I swear I've seen this before. Like actually maybe my GM, Matt, did this at one point. Like you, you give them 
different sort of ideas and let everybody rank them. So you say like, are you interested in mystery? Are you interested in violence? Are you interested in investigation? Like, yeah, in intrigue, like these things, like you have them sort of rank, rank which ones they want to do in order from one to five or one to 10. And then you take everybody's answers and you like, and you pull it up and it looks like, oh, wow, like everybody really wants to play a game where they're deceiving everybody, you know, mm. something like that, right? Like, and that gives you a lot of information about, about the sort of game that someone wants to play. Um, yeah, or the, the party wants to play and say, and then that allows you to, to kind of make the story from there. So here's a question for you. Um, about a year ago, as a sort of Halloween-ish thing, I ran that. It was kind of going to be a one-shot, but I kind of stretched into three or four sessions, I think. Game of Aliens, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and, you know, enough time has gone by. You can't hurt my feelings in this in any way. So let's let's dissect a little bit what happened with that. So that was pitched as like a short experience, couple of sessions tops, right? Not a campaign. Mm-hmm. I want to find out if you were invested in that game and what it meant to you to be invested in that game of Aliens. Were you like excited about that game going into it? And what did you want and need for that game to provide to be a satisfying <laughs> aliens experience? You so before we played that game, you sent us a list of all the characters that we could pick from. So that I think there was a handful of pregens. I don't even know if you gave us the option of of making our own characters or not. Um, I but there were that was a year ago. Right? Yeah, it was a year ago, so it might as well didn't happen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no. So I remember getting a list of pregens, and there's two that stuck out to me. Um, the one that I didn't play, I actually don't remember at all. But I remember being like, I could, I could do this one if needed. But the one that I did play was just sort of this like meathead space marine who like sort of violent, sort of I don't know, like nasty, roguish. Like it was just a very fun character for me to think about. Um, and so. All I knew was you were going to play, we were going to play a game sort of set in the alien universe. So I knew there was going to be probably some xenomorphs, you know, something like, the, yeah. something like that happening. There was going to be some, something was going to burst out of somebody's chest at yes. some point. Yeah. yeah going to be some bad decisions. Like we were going to wish we had Ripley the whole time, but yeah. you know, like those Someone was going to lean really close to something that they really shouldn't. Uh... Yes. Yeah. And all those things happened. Um, yeah. So like I knew, I knew that setting and I knew sort of the character that I wanted to play. And beyond that, all I really wanted was for that character to die a dramatic death at some point huh. in that game. Yep. Um, and I don't even know if I told you that or not, <laughs> but like that was sort of my overriding goal was to come up with a dramatic moment for this this character to. to... I don't think you told that to me explicitly. And okay. can I, it's really boring to rehash details of a campaign. Can you? Do you remember how he died? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. The alien. What exactly happened? I don't remember what exactly happened, but the alien basically like ripped his throat out at some point. Yeah, yeah. And I got it I got was like a little. A... It was a surprise. It yeah. wasn't a planned moment, but it but it happened the way you wanted is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It happened like it it happened such that like I wanted this to happen like yeah, sort of towards the end of end of the scenario, right? Like it was like a useful tactical uh, decision for like that character go that character go down down at that point too um, for the rest of the party. Mm-hmm as yeah. well so like that was super fun like that part of it was fun i got to get a, a one-liner off which i can't repeat on the show like you know those sorts right. of all those all those really great like aliens things happened i could not tell you a single npc name from it like i couldn't tell you a uh, location anything like that for me the investment was purely in character and like the the feeling of the game so you had this character and 
for your investment to pay off and be rewarded, your character needed to follow like kind of the arc that you had in mind for him, roughly. Yeah. So what could have happened that would have reduced your investment in the story? Oh, if you had made me like sit down and have like uh, make that character go through like a conference call and like talk to (laughs) talk to a bunch of generals, like do that like yeah Star Trek thing where everybody sits down and like tries to talk about their problems rather than setting their phasers to kill, like that that sort of thing. Yeah, which I don't know if we really even talked about that ahead of time, but like my expectation was the the high action part of Alien, and not the like yeah not the corporations arguing about who owned what territory. Yeah, I I feel like we're circling around, you know, a a not especially unique observation, but, you know, everybody going into the game with with expectations of, like, either the genre or the type of game, you know, and counting that the counting on the fact that those those whatever those genre elements that you all kind of collectively are enthused about will pay off. Yeah. um, You know, seems like a way to increase investment right you you want to be there to see the payoff that you're that you're waiting for right in your case it was you know a a cinematic uh death and a one-liner um mm-hmm. but in a different game it probably isn't probably isn't a death yeah. in most games but yeah yeah well i mean i'm a simple man <laughs> no but I would say like the, the other players in that game in particular like i think they were after something very different um and that that to me was a very fun part of that game was seeing how everybody had these, these very different ideas of what they wanted out of it. Yeah. Maybe they all hated playing with me. I don't know, but like it was, it was, it was fun for me. So something that just occurred to me just so we can, we can get off the alien game just a little yeah. bit was like, yep. wh- okay. So like, let's say you're in, you're in a game, you find that someone like is not invested in the story. Do you, do you try to bring them like back in? Like, I guess, do you have any, ch- tips or tricks like have you done anything in particular to like yeah get them re-engaged with what's going on at the table i wish that i had you know a, a good trick to share here you know it would concern me if i felt like somebody was not getting much out of the game beyond just the minute to minute the game should be fun on a minute to minute level but i do hope that it's something you think about you know outside of the game and that's on your mind in some way. And if I feel like that's not the case, I don't know. I guess it, you know, it depends so much on the person. It's hard to make a recommendation, but my mind goes first to, is this a character you're enjoying playing? You know, so my mm-hmm. mind might start there. You you seem to be a little checked out or just not really caring what's going on. I would start with, is this, is this character not as like what you hoped your character would be? Do you, do we need to get you another character? Is there something you don't understand about your character? Is is it just not as fun as it seemed? Is this character or this race or class or whatever not as fun as it seemed like it was going to be during character creation? Yeah. And maybe see how they react. Hmm. Yeah. This <laughs> is so something happened at the, the last gaming session that I played in. Um, so Matt, my GM, he leaned really hard. Like he had this little like story, uh, the story beat that he threw in there, which more or less like was him directly asking me like, Hey, what the heck? You have this whole part of your character sheet that you're not touching. Mm. <laughs> yep. Like this was like he did it. Like it was really great. And it was really fun, and it was like totally deserved too, right? Like it's just we're playing this game, um, always, never, now, which I like a lot, right? Like, um, yeah, it was just like this part of the character sheet that like I'm not like quite sure what to do with, 
quite yet. Um, so he brought it up and like, I've been thinking about it since then. Like, you know, like how, how can I work this, this part of the character into, into the game? Yeah. Like, and to me, that goes back to like the, just ask, like ask people to be invested yeah. a little bit. I think most of the time they'll, they'll rise to the occasion. Yeah. You and me, I mean, we're both privileged to do most of our gaming with people that are really excited about gaming yeah. and, you know, and excited, excited about gaming with the people that they're gaming with. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, this is a different question if you're running a con game and you've got to keep people invested for four hours, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. It's not that, you know, it's not as hard when you know people well enough and they know you well enough that you all know this is all going to, this is going to be fun. It's going to pay off. You're not going to get left dangling with a character or a plot arc that didn't go anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. we're all in this together, I guess. Yeah. If you don't have that assurance at like a convention or something like that, then, you know, I don't know. Or if you're just playing with people that you don't know all that well. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I haven't really thought about that because I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever, like I've run a couple of like con style games. I don't know if I've ever really played with complete strangers before, like played, like I've GM'd in some way, like complete strangers. But yeah, like the, I mean, I think for me to feel comfortable playing a game, like a role playing game, I would need to have that, that sort of like knowledge of everybody just to feel comfortable like playing D and D would not be my first choice for getting to know someone. I guess is what I, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think it's like it's a great second choice. Like after you get to get to know people a little bit, um, like oh yeah, like let's let's play some let's play role playing games, and then I think people can loosen up a little bit, yeah. show different parts of their personality. Uh, there's one there's one tip I wanted to bring up that I saw Kyle Latino do one time. Uh, he does he did a really good job in this game that I played with pairing people up. Um, for different actions so like when the group was faced with a new scenario he would ask two people from the group to to be the ones that sort of took charge on what what they were going to do um about that and he switched it up right so like i think a lot of times when you're playing games sometimes you fall into rhythms where it's like you know a couple characters are always teaming up to go do do something you know it's like you kind of have your your party lines <laughs> that you, you've all drawn out but yeah so he did he did a very like good job of like switching it up every time that we came into something and i think that's that's like a good way for people to explore the characters a little bit but then also to make sure that everybody's engaging at the table um yeah, yeah with what's going on one way i have observed that increases it seems to increase investment with some players is games that have a little bit more of a like a board game vibe or a little bit more of a vibe of we could win or we could lose at this. Mm. I don't want to overstate that. And it comes with all kinds of caveats, which, <laughs> yeah, of course. which I think most people listening can probably fill in for themselves. But yeah. uh, so I will say, although it's on hiatus right now, one thing that I think that uh, band of blades, the role-playing game really brings to the table that is, neat is the explicit understanding that you can lose if you Mm. don't manage it right and not everyone will respond to that kind of very gamey element but our group seemed to respond pretty well to it and Mm. even you know if you aren't really quote getting into your character or you're not feeling the setting or you're not digging feeling very inspired about role playing or whatever you can still be pretty intent on not losing or winning or 
manipulating the mechanics in some way to do something that's you know interesting or, or fun. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That that failure stage just doesn't exist in role playing games that often. You you raised you brought that up and like yeah, I'm immediately thinking about all the board games that I played that have been intense experiences and it is because you can lose, right? Like yeah, because yeah, you you do have that that failure state. I mean, I think it, like it changes how you approach approach it, but I mean, I think if you're if you're aware that that failure state is more narrative rather than mechanical, yeah, you can make character decisions in a different way. Not to push the board game analogy too far, but you know what what makes for those really intense board games that you care about and you think about for months afterwards? For yeah. me, it's games that have a ton of tense interaction with the other players. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is maybe just saying something personally about me and not a general rule, but. When, I mean, if you have an activity and it's something you can kind of coast along and play mostly solo, you know, there's board games where you're kind of just playing it yourself, sitting yeah. next to other people also playing the game themselves. <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. that, now, those might be cool games, but they don't sound all that exciting to me and you don't remember those games, right? Yeah. Uh, the games you remember, the ones where you have to negotiate with the other players or you're always butting heads with the other players or maybe where you team up to do something really cool mechanically by comboing up with another player in some way. Mm-hmm. Those are the those are the board games I remember. Obviously, in a role playing game, you don't want everybody kind of constantly clashing against each other all the time, generally mm-hmm. speaking. But you know, I guess a game where you don't have a choice, where the game simply requires continually crossing paths with and interacting with the other players whether it's through the game mechanics of like you move over here and then I'll cast the spell on you and mm-hmm. that will Jane over here execute this move or it could just be a more narrative where you're all kind of interested in each other's stories and and throwing each other hooks for their characters to to latch onto you know hmm. i guess i'm losing my train of thought but um, <laughs> i think oh. a, a role playing game that that rewards and encourages all the players to be interacting in a meaningful way. To me, that sounds like, sounds like something I'd be very engaged with. Yeah. That always never now game that we're playing has a mechanic where you can, you can reward people bonus dice, uh, like based on cool stuff that they've done. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like, sort of like inspiration in D and D, but like imagine if like players could give it to each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what it does is it pushes you like a little bit to, to make your decisions more fun i think like the actions that you're doing a little bit more fun and engaging because like you want people to give you bonus time right like you like you want that economy to start start yeah. happening at the table because like, it like at, in the end it's a very mechanical thing right like it's a mechanical thing you get a, a, a die added to your pool which is great lets you get a better chance of success um and all that but yeah i think there there's something to be said about exactly what you're saying yeah like that that sort of player investment, those players are like bouncing off of each other and allowing each other to, um, yeah, to react and to, to interact with each other rather than just, just like interacting with the GM all the time. Right. Like, yeah, you have, yeah, have those cross connections. Well, Um, Hey, I think that we should probably wrap up our conversations. Do you have any closing, uh, closing thoughts on this or are we ready to uh, wrap it up? I don't think I have any closing thoughts. Do you want me to come up with something that sounds like really, um, hoity toity and highfalutin? Yeah, can you hit us with a sort of uh, a philosopher Chris statement here? <laughs> a philosopher Chris statement? Um, goodness, I mean, I liked what I said earlier, right? Like, all that's gold, so maybe we'll just leave it leave it with that. 
Okay. I feel like you just totally... Uh... Yeah, that was a cop-out. Let me take another yeah, round. that was a cop-out. Uh, I think you need to ask yourself if you're invested in the story first. Oh, about indeed. That? That's yeah. up there with, like, the real immersion was the friends we made along the way <laughs> uh, territory. So. Okay. Yes, well, uh, all right. This is a good discussion. Thanks for uh, thanks for indulging me on my Jack Vance uh, ramblings earlier on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm going to read those and judge you for liking them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please do. Yeah. 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 Recommended with a big asterisk. But, okay. Well, Chris, yeah. it has been, uh, it's been good chatting. Do you have any uh, final words here before we sign off? No, I don't. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. It's good to have you back. Um, yep. Yeah. All right, well, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. Remember, your players are having fun. You're a great GM.